to the Jazz Notes podcast, August 22nd, a Tuesday. Ben Anderson, your uh, Utah Jazz insider for kslsports.com, and Chandler Holt. Chandler, where can everyone find you on Twitter as we build this, uh, excuse me, X, as we build your X following? Where can we find you? Yeah, pretty simple. Just Chandler Holt, KSL. Um, every week I'm retweeting Ben's tweet for the mailbag, so if you want to get in on the Jazz Notes podcast, keep an eye out there every Monday. Today was early Tuesday, just Keep an eye around then if you want to ask a question, jazz-related, and get on the show. You too cool for Chandler Holt, KSL Sports? What's the deal? <laughs> What's the KSL tag, though? I, I figured I would just be a little bit broader. <laughs> just so everyone knows, it's two totally different things. KSL Sports, we are our own entity. We are separate. But uh, yeah, follow Chandler for sure on X, on Twitter, whatever. Uh, and also does a lot of our TikTok work at uh, kslsports.com. So if you don't follow us on TikTok yet, you will see Chandler a lot more there. And he does an excellent job. So uh, fun to have you on, Chandler. And I think you've been doing a good job with the podcast as We've been getting this off the ground and trying to make you a little bit more of a uh, familiar face for jazz fans out there because I think you're going to be doing some more jazz coverage coming up this season. At least that's my hope. <laughs> so <laughs> we will see. But I have to uh, have to clear that with some more important people than me. All right. Let's talk about the news. Unfortunately, we recorded this last Tuesday at noon and then at like 1.30... The announcements came out about Taylor Hendricks and, and uh, Keontae George, which is something we had addressed and said, yeah, no news. And then there was news like right after. So great news. Keontae George back on the floor. Yes. Seemingly 100 uh, percent. Taylor Hendricks back on the floor dealing with a hamstring injury that kept him out of pre-draft workouts, kept him out of the summer league entirely. Back on the court, 100 percent. Still waiting on Bryce Sensabaugh and that knee injury to get back to full health. First, let's start with Sensabaugh, just because I think we can get him out of the way quickly. It probably makes some sense why he slipped out of the lottery. Now, there were other reasons why he slipped out of the lottery. But if you were following kind of the draft Knicks of the world going back to really January, December of 2022, Bryce Sensabaugh had absolutely burst onto the scene, was putting up crazy offensive numbers that we hadn't seen from a freshman, doing it on a terrible Ohio State team, but also got some points for that because, like, there was nobody else to scout for. He was the freshman, and he was putting up 20 points regularly on ultra-efficient numbers, like 40% from three, basically 50% from the floor, unstoppable offensively as a freshman, but falls to 28 to the Jazz. He doesn't play defense, didn't do that at all. His shot profile that he took in college doesn't really translate to the NBA. He's going to have to change his offensive style, but he can shoot, and knockdown shooters are valuable Maybe the reason he did fall as far as he did in the draft is because there was concerns that that knee injury was going to take a little bit longer to get him on the floor. And in the long run, you know, three months, six months, missing your whole rookie year, which is not what's, you know, projected for Bryce. I'm not trying to say that. But we look at guys like, you know, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Who cares if you miss your first year? Like, as long as you can get on the floor at some point, be the best sophomore, be the best junior. Don't be the best rookie. That doesn't really actually matter all that much. Honestly, with his knee, it's something that I think could potentially be a lingering thing for him. So um, I'm glad that the Jazz are being precautious with this. If you look at his build, he's 6'6", 235, right? He's a little bit short to be a small forward. He's a little bit heavy for the shooting guard position. But hopefully he can be ready to go when the season starts. And I think he's going to start his career as a spotted three-point shooter. I think that's what he does. He's not a great playmaker. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit, but he's not going to be backing people down like he did at Ohio State where he was just stronger than everybody else on the floor. He's going to be a spot-up three-point shooter, and then you hope the rest of that game comes along. And yeah, bring him along slowly. You don't actually need that to start the year. But let's get over to Keontae George and Taylor Hendricks. I I think the news about Keontae is probably more encouraging than the news about Taylor. Not that it's not the same spot. Great. Mm -hmm. Taylor's going to be ready to play. I expected him to with the hamstring. But Keontae George had rolled the same ankle twice. It ended his season 
uh, at Baylor, or really hurt his season at Baylor, I should say. It didn't end it, but really hurt his season at Baylor. His inefficient numbers in college were largely due to his drop-off after that injury, even though it was really only four games uh, that he had missed in late February, or, or played through in late February. And then you saw him healthy in the Summer League, and he was the best player in Summer League. I mean, he would have been the Summer League MVP had he stayed healthy. I think the Jazz probably would have won the title. Not that that means anything, but he gets hurt. They're not very good after that. Uh, him being back and 100% after rolling the same ankle twice, it was the same ankle that he hurt against Denver in the Summer League, is a really good sign. And, and it's just about making sure that ankle gets better and, and is 100% ready to go by the time the season starts. And if you have to bring him along slowly, I think that's just fine. You've got a ton of depth in the backcourt. Uh, that's fine. But it's nice that it wasn't surgery and something that was going to linger for several months. And uh, as a former skateboarder, I remember the rule of thumb always with ankles was how long is it going to take to heal and then double it? So yep. even if he's 100% clear now, like I would still tell him to just stay off it. Just we need it to be right at the beginning of the year. And if that's what I'm saying as a jazz guy, we need you to be 100%. Do it. Wait until you know September to really get on the floor, which is a week or two from now. But yeah, bring it along slowly. And, uh, and make sure you're 100%. Hamstrings are hamstrings. You know, they're finicky. They're fickle. you got to be careful with Taylor Hendricks there as well. But that was probably more precautionary than anything. Very true. And I think it's a great time for both of these uh, rookies to get cleared because we're at the end of August right now. The preseason doesn't start until early October. So both of these rookies got a little over a month to ramp back up to where they can be 100% healthy and 100% confident to get into NBA basketball. Yeah, and you know what? It, it, it There's probably... Worse things in the world than keeping them off the floor right now. You know, in all honesty, just you let them come along slowly, move to Utah, figure out their surroundings, you know, feel at home, not have basketball be their only focus. I actually think some of that could be advantageous. So uh, hopefully that process ends up being beneficial, but but good signs all around for, for the Jazz rookies. And I suspect that uh, they'll get a big opportunity in, in preseason to prove themselves. I would be surprised if either of them make big impacts on the floor early in the year, but maybe it's an Ochai like situation where midway through the season, both Taylor Hendricks and Keontae George find themselves in the rotation uh, and getting an opportunity to play because I think they're both going to be really good players. I mean, I was surprised at how good Keontae was already in Summer League. We obviously haven't seen Taylor. Everything I've talked to from the draft people I know said, you know, he, he's going to take a while. He, he's a little further out than you may expect for most one-and-done kids. But, you know, yeah, give him a... Give him 15 games with the Stars. Let him go through the the G League showcase. Let him do some of that stuff and figure out what he can do on an NBA court, what does translate, and just gives him a foot in the door once he does get on the floor in the NBA because that was huge for Ochai He didn't know how to get on the floor and stay on the floor. He figured it out a little bit in the G League and then was pretty solid once he got to the Jazz last year in January. Two of the biggest things for rookies is, one, just getting used to the speed of the game, but second is having confidence. And I think that when you're a late first-round pick, license ball, going through the G League can help you build some of that confidence. It's funny. Keontae kept talking about how the speed, he thought the league was slower. The speed's not very fast. It's, well, Baylor's good. They're not that good. So we'll see. Maybe that was all talk. Uh, you got to be careful. He, he, could get a, he could get a little bit of a baptism by fire if he's uh, not careful and comes out a little bit too ambitious in the NBA. But the Jazz can afford it. They can still afford to have some letdowns from their rookies this year. Let's see how he can guard De'Aaron Fox on opening day of the Jazz's 2023-2024 season. How do you feel about the season opener against Sacramento? Uh, that's a fun draw. Sacramento has like 20 games on national TV. This isn't one of them, but Sacramento is going to be uh, very well seen this year in the NBA. Now that makes sense. They have that 8 p.m. tip-off window that the NBA likes to get on the West Coast. And it can't just be the Lakers or the Clippers every night. And the Kings <laughs> were young and fun, and, and that's a good team to watch. So, uh that's a good game. That's a good litmus test early. Uh, you know, the Jazz beat the Nuggets early last season. We didn't know the Nuggets were going to go on to win the title. 
But that ended up being a real spark for the Jazz that they relied on amid a very brutal first 15 games of the season, and it really helped them. Uh, what did they start three and or thirteen and three or thirteen and two, whatever their yeah. their crazy start was of the season last year? That win over Denver helped. It was a catalyst in, the, in that stretch, and and the Jazz could use that because man, just looking at these first fourteen games, Chandler, it's just as brutal as it was last season. I mean, oh, we talked so much last year about that being a losing team schedule. They give that to the bad teams because they're not expected to compete for anything. These first fifteen games for the Jazz are just as just as bad, if not more difficult, than last year. 100%. Let's preview some of these games. So, like we said, we open the season, Sacramento, following game with the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Then we go on to Phoenix, Denver, Memphis for the first time. We'll see them in a few games later. Orlando, Minnesota, and Chicago. That's a nice little three-game stretch that the Jazz could have some very winnable games. And then, to end it off for the ninth and 10th game of the season, Indiana Pacers and the Memphis Grizzlies again. So... Sacramento's a playoff team. Clippers are a playoff team. Phoenix is a playoff team. Denver's the best team in the NBA. Memphis is a playoff team. I get they don't have John Morant, but they have Marcus Smart. Like, fine. Yes. They're better than the Jazz. And there's been stretches where Memphis looked better without John. When they, they had with, Tyus Jones. Yes. And, they, and Marcus Smart is better than Tyus Jones. Yes. I think he is. Uh, so Memphis is good. Orlando's probably not very good, and you should beat Orlando here. But it is on the second night of a back-to-back. Mm. So that's not an easy game. Minnesota's better than the Jazz. Chicago is not better than the Jazz, but probably pretty comparable in the East. Indiana, not great, but still a tough road game and a team that probably wants to put the pedal to the metal. They want to see some traction finally. And then Memphis, again, is better than the Jazz. And then, yeah, you come home, you get Portland, and then you go back-to-back against Phoenix, and then you get the Lakers again. Like, those first 14 games, the Jazz could start out 2-12. and 12. Like, it's not going to happen because I said the same thing last year, but the Jazz could start out 2-12. and 12. They could lose to Sacramento. You could lose to the Clippers. You lose on the road at Phoenix and Denver, and all of a sudden you're 0-4, and you're scrambling a little bit, and then Memphis punches you in the mouth to get back to Salt Lake City. Yeah, you beat Orlando, but then you got a four-game road trip, and you're just like, where do we catch our breath? Where do we get our head above water? And I, I don't know where the Jazz do that. I, I If they don't start with win a win against Sacramento or splitting against the Clippers, like this season— as much fun as last year was to start out with that crazy win record, and they kind of coasted off that for the rest of the year. They were a far below 500 team after that hot start. This this first 10 games, 15 games, could really set the Jazz season up to be a... I don't want to call it a disappointment because I don't think you should have high expectations for this team to make the postseason. I don't think they have to make the postseason. I don't think there's a mandate from ownership or the front office to get there. But like you could really paint the color of this team and this season really early with a bad stretch that just sets them up to say, we're handing the ball over to Keontae George, we're handing the ball over to Taylor Hendricks, we know how good Lowry is, but this is another heavy developmental year for this team, uh, and, and that's going to be the goal, and I could see that if they if they start really poorly this season. Just comparing the rosters, the first four games, Kings, Clippers, Suns, and Nuggets, like you said, you really don't want to start 0-4 because then it's a slippery slope of when you can pick up your first win. Which of those four games do you think is the most realistic for the Jazz to pick up a win? Probably Sacramento. Open, Probably just night. a home opener just to catch somebody off guard. Sacramento's coasting off of having a good season last year. Jazz fans are going to be pumped to have this team back. That would be my best bet, and it's also the only team where the Jazz might have the best player on the floor. Mm. If you think Lowry's better than DeMondis, Sabonis, and De'Aaron Fox, and he might not be. I, I, I think he's 
Maybe. He, he's right in that conversation. I mean, last year all season was who's going to start in the playoffs or who's going to get that playoff, or excuse me, who's going to start in the All-Star game or who's going to get that All-Star bid. Is it going to be Sabonis or is it going to be Lowry Markin? I mean, those two are neck and neck with each other. And then De'Aaron's very good. So he's not better than Kawhi. He's not better than Kevin Durant. He's not better than Nikola Jokic. So it's going to be really tough. It's a really tough stretch. I mean, the Jazz got another brutal schedule uh, and a lot of road games. What, six road games in their first ten? Yes. So, and three of your home games are against playoff teams. So it's 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 a crazy stretch for the Jazz. And, and then you've got a couple of long road stretches again. You've got a long one in December. You've got a long one in January. I mean, the the schedule after the All Star break gets a lot easier, I think, and really February first on gets a lot easier. A lot more home games, but it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a slog for a little while there. And if they're not ready to play right away, they could uh, get sucked up in this tidal wave pretty quick. 100%. But Jazz fans, let's take a deep breath. Uh, we have some more stuff, more facts about the schedule. Uh, we'll get to Sunday home games in a second. But according to Positive Residual, which is a site that breaks down the NBA schedule in the calendar, uh, Utah has the second easiest schedule by opponent record. Okay. They have tied for the least back-to-backs in the league with 13. That's good. And they travel the 10th fewest miles. That's good. Which is all good signs. Yep. Um but let's talk about the Sunday home games. First time since 2001, I believe, around then. Yeah, um, 2001. The Jazz played the uh, Phoenix Suns here. It was January 21st. And I think, as you pointed out, they had some success in their last few Sunday home games. They won four straight Sunday home games. So that's good. The last time they lost, I think, was 99 to Shaq and the Lakers. So that was when the Jazz were good, and they were playing on NBC on you know uh, on those Sunday afternoon games. I remember watching those NBA on NBC growing up. Uh, they haven't been that relevant since then. Yeah. And they don't want to play Sunday games, but we will see. The league mandated that they play some Sunday games this year, and uh, I think it'll be fun. I, I mean, they're still going to sell out. They're still going to be fun games to go to. 100%. But as long as the Jazz can get through that opening 15 or so games, that will be rough. It looks good otherwise. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I. You know, you you if you don't get through those first 10 games, the last 70 can be quick can be ugly quickly, and, and that really does happen. We have seen teams start slow and never battle back, and, and this is where you know Lowry marketing is going to be tested. I mean, the Jazz just caught so many teams by surprise last year, and you had a great player who could steady the ship in Mike Conley that you don't have anymore. So who is going to be that guy that steps up and says, yeah, don't get too high, don't get too low, because Mike Conley was good at that. Is it Kelly Olynyk? Is Chris Dunn ready to be that guy? It's why you probably can't start Keontae George day one. Like, Keontae George is going to be drowning for the first 50 games of the year. I mean, Will Hardy told me last year he didn't catch his breath until the last road trip of the season. He's the head coach. He said he didn't really feel like he had a feel for what was going on comfortably. And some of that, he you know, he's self-deprecating. He's, he's pretty modest. But he really said he didn't feel like he was in control until the last couple of weeks of the season. Certainly the new point guard, who's 19 years old, is not going to feel in control. So, you know, Chris Dunn, Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Lowry Markinen, these guys are going to have to step up and really be ready to play really quickly. Otherwise, this season's going to get away from the Jazz fast. I think a lot of that could end up falling on Colin Sexton. Um, I think that he is just plain and simple a little bit of a better player than Chris Dunn. I Mm -hmm. think he's more likely to get that starting spot. Um, And can he... We know he's a good defender. We know that he brings energy on the offensive end, but can he be a leader? He's going into like his fifth or sixth season, I believe. So that's something that he could start to build on. His and that's an interesting test because I think his best strength is that he is a little bit of the wild card. 
and the wild card is good and the wild card is bad. You know, you just when when nobody else is playing well, he will have high energy. But then there are nights when other the rest of the team is playing well and he's kind of off doing his own thing. And it's the beauty and kind of the downside of a guy like Colin Sexton. It's why he hasn't carved himself out as an obvious starting point guard because he would have been the starting point guard to start the season last year and the Jazz didn't play him that way. You know, some of that's because he had Mike Conley, but he would have been the obvious heir apparent and he's not because he's just his up. His highs are really high and his lows are pretty low. And I think that's where Chris Dunn, again, I know I, I, I kind of talked about this last week where he might be the starting point guard. I don't think his highs are very high, and I don't think his lows are very low, and it's someone you can trust week in and week out, or game in and game out, I should say, and that's that's really beneficial for NBA teams. Very true. I th- also think that Dunn would be more likely to pass off and be more willing to be a third, fourth, fifth option, whatever it is, mm-hmm. to the guys that deserve to have that ball more. Yep. I like Chris Dunn a lot. I think that's why I would start him, and especially with this stretch, honestly. I w- looking at the first 10 games of the season for the Jazz, it makes even more sense to me to start Chris Dunn. All right, let's move on to a little bit of FIBA. Uh, The actual FIBA tournament is starting this week in a few days, Uh, so we'll just do some quick hits. Uh, Kessler got his his best performance so far in FIBA and his most minutes against Greece. He put up seven rebounds, or sorry, seven points, five rebounds, one assist, and a block. However, uh, he didn't play at all versus Germany. Yep, and that was a that was actually a really entertaining USA game. They were down big uh, at some points, I think around fifteen points, but they climbed back in the fourth quarter. Thanks to Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Edwards, who played great. Um, also, another Jazz player who had their best game in FIBA, uh, Simone Fontecchio, put up 26 in a six-point win over Brazil, which was big. He was letting it fly there. Um, Clarkson didn't play in the Philippines' last exhibition game against Mexico. And then Kelly Olynyk drops 11 points, five rebounds, six assists. thought that was interesting, more assists than rebounds in a five-point win over Spain for Team Canada. Again, Canada's going to be very good. Uh, we will see. And yeah, they beat Spain. Uh, that was impressive. Spain's going to be one of the favorites to win it all. Uh, I am interested in how much we see Walker Kessler, if at all, once we get to group play. You know, one of the reasons why Team USA was down to Germany was they were just getting killed on the boards. I mean, that's where you need Walker Kessler. They don't have a great rebounder on this team outside of Walker Kessler. It was like, at one point, it was... I think there were 18 second chance points for Germany and they were plus 12 on the glass. Like it was crazy. The offensive glass. Like they were killing Team USA there. And that's where you need a seven footer. They didn't go with them. They stuck with what they had. They ended up going with a little bit of a bigger lineup in the backcourt. They took Jalen Brunson off the floor and went with Austin Reeves, Tyrese Halliburton, and, and as you mentioned, Anthony Edwards. And Anthony Edwards went full blown superstar mode and is having that evolution right now in front of our eyes. It's pretty fun to watch. But they are not going to Walker Kessler even in those moments when they need size. So I think that's telling. Uh, there will be blowouts in group play, but you still have some difficult games. So uh, it's not going to be a cakewalk. I think we will see him, Walker Kessler, play some, uh, but I don't think he's going to be a part of the rotation once we actually get into this group play. And unfortunately, the game started like 3 a.m., 5 a.m., so you're probably not going to watch them live. But of course, we will have all the coverage for you at kslsports.com. Um. The Jazz Top 50 has kicked off. Okay. We're already all the way down to 45, I believe. Um, let's talk about the players that have been announced so far. Um, how are you feeling about the series so far? I like it. It was a big project, but as somebody who's now covered the Jazz for the more than a decade, you know, you're familiar with a lot of these names. I've seen a lot of these guys play, but even then there are stories and some guys' names and histories of how they got here, how they left the team that I wasn't familiar with. And, you know, I've probably written... 20 articles already of these 50, uh, and as we continue to uh, release these top 50 players every day at 11.30 on uh, the Jake and Ben show on KSL Sports Zone 97.5, uh, 
Uh, it's been fun to figure out who these guys are, a little bit more of their history. Now, 50-49 were Rodney Hood and Ricky Rubio. You know them. We yes. watch them play. We understand their value. But you start getting into guys like Bobby Hansen, Nate Williams, who went to Utah State, and it's been really cool to figure out when they played, what role they played, who was on the roster with them. You know, Bobby Hansen played 470 games with the Jazz and was like the other starter in the 80s next to Carl Malone and John Stockton and Mark Eaton and, you know, whoever their shooting guard was going to be at the time. He just was, he was important. He was a big player and was really good in the playoffs. Things I just didn't know about those names that I was familiar with just because I've been around the team for so long, mm. but hadn't really seen them play a whole lot. Yeah, and then going down to 46, we have Jay Crowder, another yep. more recent uh, jazz player. Um, and then, who was released today uh, at 45, we have none Mike, other than Mike Brown. The Brown Bear, who I remember selling hot dogs in the Sugar House because he owned the Brown Bear hot dog in the burger store. So anyways, <laughs> it's a, that's a story you may not know. You may have not known that about Mike Brown. And those are the types of history, uh, again, we get to continue to learn as we break these down. But it's been fun. And I think we are about to get to a next tier of players. Like there's this group of like decent role players on playoff teams. And then we're going to take the next step. And then there really are a couple of, I think, like clear delineations of like this group of players everybody knows and everyone remembers and 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 then it gets really interesting on on who fits where so it's fun it's been a fun project i hope everyone's following along you can uh, find them on twitter at ksl sports uh or x at ksl sports or on instagram in the same spot and we release them every day at 11 30 so it's been a fun project i may or may not have access to the list but i'm excited to see who's coming next yeah it's uh again the, the and the next name coming up uh, tomorrow is a guy who again i was familiar with his name and didn't really know his history or the trades or how we got here and went on to have a really long nba career you know one of these guys maybe these here i'll tease it he's one of these guys who maybe a player who got away from the jazz that's how i would tease it so Maybe, you know, you don't win every trade. Yeah. We like to talk about the good trades in team's history. You don't win every trade. And this is one I'd probably say the Jazz didn't win. Shall we get into the mailbag? Let's do it. My favorite part. Awesome. We're going to start out with a few questions from Glenn Anderson. Um, when do the Jazz push all the chips onto the table? Next summer? Two summers from now? Or three? Um, I have something for this. I think that when you're in a small market mm-hmm. that you have to draft somebody or you'll have some opportunity presented to yourself and then you capitalize on it. I don't think when you're in a smaller market, you're like, okay, in two, three years, we're going to go all out. I just don't think that's realistic for a lot of teams. Yeah, I don't think the Jazz are at a spot where this is game planned out yet. Now, at some point, you don't want to sit on your assets too long and just say, oh man, we drafted all these players and you kind of saw the realistic value of them. And if they don't hit then they are not as good a trade pieces as just the idea of what if this draft pick is something or where could this draft pick go. So you've got this delicate balance for Justin Zanuck and Danny Ainge right now of what they're going to do with all these future draft picks because you're not going to make all of them, but you also don't want to give them away too early. So, I mean, some of it honestly has to do with what happens in these first 10 games to go full circle here on our conversation today is if you start out 2-8 and eight or 2-12 and 12 and you realize, oh man, the climb to get back into the season is a long one, and we're probably not going to get back there. It's better to trade off Jordan Clarkson now. It's better to trade off Colin Sexton now if you can and acquire more draft picks. Then you're not even close to getting all in. But you know what? If in January, Lucas says, I'm done. I hate Dallas. I'm not going to play for Jason Kidd or Mark Cuban anymore. You guys don't have a championship pathway. You go all in. So you, when the right phone call comes, you go all in. But I don't think that's predetermined. So I, it's not going to be three years. That's too far out. But I don't think there's some mandate this season to make this major blockbuster trade. But if 
Joel Embiid becomes available at the right price. Certainly Luka is the name for the Jazz. If he becomes available, there's no wrong price. The truth is there's just no wrong price for Luka. So mm-hmm. so you can go all in at that point. And, and that's what I think teams will be waiting on. And then it's do the Jazz have the best package because Oklahoma City is also doing the same thing. And it'll be curious, are they waiting for Giannis? Are they waiting for Joel? Are they waiting for Luka or somebody else who may ask out? And there's a lot of names. I mean, Anthony Edwards could be one of these guys who asks out in the next couple of seasons. Devin Booker could ask out from the Phoenix Suns if you think that's the guy in the next couple of years uh, if they don't win and they need salary cap relief. So there are a lot of different names out there that could be the target for the Jazz. It just depends on when you decide to use those chips. And I don't think it has to happen this year. That's a great transition into Glenn's next question, which is if you could pick the perfect semi-realistic superstar to trade for, who would it be? Also a second choice if you have it. I think that the only superstar who's on the trade market right now is Damian Lillard. There's been no other stars that have any signs that they want out at this moment. So I think you have to look to teams that underperformed last year and could likely underperform this year. Two teams that come to mind for me are the Chicago Bulls and the Minnesota Timberwolves. When you look at the Timberwolves, I don't know if they want to do more deals with the Jazz for one, but for two, the person they would probably trade is Carl Anthony Towns. Do the Jazz really need another four, five, probably not? So if you go to the Bulls, maybe Levine or DeMar DeRozan becomes available. That's also probably a tier or two below a superstar, but still very good players. Those are the guys I would give up bad assets for to take advantage of a team that just needs to start over, a la John Collins. You gave up Rudy Gay, who has negative value and a second-round pick, just to take back salary. And I would say, you know, I would not chase Zach Levine, nor would I chase DeMar DeRozan. And DeMar's great. I think he's a Hall of Famer. And Zach Levine's numbers mem- or, or, or really kind of rival Donovan Mitchell. He's not as good as Donovan Mitchell is, and it's why you have to watch the games and why the numbers by themselves don't tell the whole story. But yes, they're in, they're in trouble with their salary cap, especially with Lonzo Ball and all the issues he's having and won't play this season. They're going to have to hit the reset button soon. So yes, if you can get those guys for nothing, I think you're all for it, but you view them as kind of you know assets that you're going to flip again in the future for more draft picks or a young player. I don't think you chase those guys. I, similarly, I don't think you trace Damian, chase Damian Lillard. I, I do think you keep an eye on those other names. Mm-hmm. I actually think the best target for the Jazz would be Giannis Antetokounmpo. Mm-hmm. I would actually put him over Giannis. I just think he's a more complete player. Uh, over Luka, excuse me. Giannis is better than Luka yeah. as far as a more complete player goes. But Luka's younger, has not hit a ceiling yet. There's an argument Giannis probably has hit his ceiling uh, and Luka's best basketball still ahead of him. So if you can get Luka, that's your guy. But I would probably put Giannis at one and Luka at two. I think a lot of Jazz fans were talking about Jalen Brown before he became a $60 million man. And I don't know if that's because he signed long-term or if it's because of that money. But Yeah, I mean, he's pretty flawed. I, I, like, <laughs> I like his game a lot. He's really great. He can't dribble. He certainly cannot pass. Like There are a lot of flaws in Jalen Brown's game that are masked by the fact that he plays next to Jason Tatum, who does so many things so well and is a much better player than Jalen Brown. And Jalen's great. I certainly, you know, it would be fun to cover a guy of, of his caliber, and there's a reason he's all NBA. But if he's the best player on your team, his value drops. Now, he probably wouldn't be. I think Larry Markkinen's better than Jalen Brown. So maybe he can still have some of those skills, and uh, you can mask some of the things he can't do. But the Jazz already aren't a very good passing team. Yes. And nor are they a great ball-handling team from that position. So... Uh, he wouldn't address those issues for you. And $60 million for a second option is not good It's a lot business. of cash. Yeah. It's a lot of cash. All right, next question from Utah Jazz fan. Are the Jazz too deep? Should they trade some of their pieces that would be the third-string guys? Or is it nice to have the regular season depth? I don't think there's any bad depth on this Jazz roster. Like, I don't think there's a guy that is blocking the development of other players right now 
on this roster. And I could be wrong, and maybe we will see that pretty quickly once the season starts. If you decide, like, hey, Omer Yurtsevin's really good, and Kelly Olynyk's taking up his minutes for some reason, or Taylor Hendricks is great and has to be on the floor, and Kelly Olynyk is taking up all this dude's minutes, I could see that a little bit. Or if you think Taylor Horton Tucker is in the way of the development of Keontae George, but... I don't think the Jazz feel a mandate to play Taylor Horton Tucker if Keontae George is better. They will just play Keontae George. I yes. don't think there are these – not that there's not egos in the locker room. There's egos in every locker room. These are NBA players. These guys are egomaniacs. They have to be to get to their level. But I don't see anyone out there who has to play because of their veteran status or their their role on the team or that they will be such a headache if they don't play that could get in the way of the depth of the other young players. Maybe it's Colin Sexton. Maybe it's Jordan Clarkson if you just said, well, those guys are really talented, make a bunch of money, and are you know proven NBA players, and you would rather see Keontae George out there. But I, I think there's enough minutes to go around. I do. I think there's going to be enough opportunity to find ways to play guys, rest guys, sit guys games. And I don't think you want to just throw your rookies out to the wolves for no reason and just let them get eaten up midway through the season. So I don't see that early on. I don't think the Jazz are too deep. I think they're fine. But again, by midseason, I will bet. I bet they will consolidate somewhat to clear pathways for guys to step on the floor. And it may be Bryce Sensabaugh, it may be Taylor Hendricks, it may be Keontae George, or maybe it's someone else totally different who we're not talking about enough here. Maybe Simone Fontecchio breaks through and is ready to play more. So uh, I could see some of that happening, but I don't think they're there day one. Of everything you just said, I think most realistic would be Taylor Hendricks proving that he deserves minutes, and then Kelly Olynyk sort of falling by the wayside. And I think, as you pointed out, I believe last episode, Kelly Olenek can be a quality role player on a contending team. Yep. Like, he has that. Really good. Yes. Every team in the West. Every yep. team in the East. I can't think of a team that doesn't need Kelly Olenek in the playoffs. <laughs> Even if it's for six minutes, eight minutes, he's going to come in, he's going to commit some hard fouls, he's not going to lose the game for you, he might hit a huge three, and that's all you need. That's a really good, valuable player, especially on an expiring contract. Taylor Horton's on an expiring deal. So there is... There are moves to be made, but nobody is serving as a roadblock on opening night. Thank you for tuning into the Jazz Notes podcast. You can find us anywhere that you find your podcast, any platform, or kslsports.com. There's a little podcast tab drop down, and you can find us there as well. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, we also write this up uh, every Tuesday at kslsports.com. So uh, if you want to go back and uh, revisit that, you can as well. And then uh, find all of our jazz coverage at kslsports.com. And again, follow along with the Jazz 50 on X, on Instagram, at kslsports and at Ben's Hoops. Uh, And we'll have that going up to uh, opening night of the regular season.